1: The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn.
3: Hi, this is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. I am amazed to announce that this is our 300th show of Cutting the Curd. <laughs> our guest is clapping. It was pioneered by Ann Saxelby and now hosted by Greg Blaze and myself. And today, in oh, and produced by the amazing Emily Acosta. And today in studio, I'm delighted to welcome a writer and radio show host also, Katie Kiefer, whose book, What's the Matter with Meat, we'll be discussing today. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much, Diane. I'm so glad we we're able to
4: talk about my other favorite food group besides cheese. And it seems very appropriate that on
3: your three, three 300th show, we we talk about meat instead right. of cheese. Right, we're diverting. Absolutely. Enough cheese already. Yeah. <laughs> there can never be enough cheese. That's true. So. So how does it feel so far to be the interviewee rather than the interviewer on, in this studio on this show? Well, it feels great because I never get to talk enough in my own show because I'm actually <laughs> interviewing somebody else.
4: Uh-huh. And even though I'd like it to be all about me all the time, um, <laughs> that isn't really what people are tuning in for. So it's thrilling to be oh, the, okay. on the other side of the um, of the, uh of
3: the interview table, as it were. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll see if I can shut up enough to let you talk. Yeah, that's right. Don't worry. I'll, sh- I'll shut you up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. First of all, just so that the listeners know, um, I want to welcome perhaps new listeners to the Cutting the Curd Show who might be meet people, yeah. meet fans, or meet not fans. That's all right. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. So... The meat topic of today's book is very different. It's, um, I want to say first, I am a meat eater. I am a meat lover. Me too. But uh, I was fully, I am i am not fully versed in industrialized meat. Well, now you are. Because <laughs> <laughs> you said you read the book. I did. I did. <laughs> but it's a real, you have opened my eyes. It's an eye opener. I yeah. mean, this is... Uh, there's a lot of bad guys in this book.
4: Well, you know, I I want to say that uh, the bad guys are the big industrial meat companies. Mm-hmm. Um, they are by no means the people who actually do the raising of meat. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's the big packers that I think um, are the villains in this piece because mm-hmm. they are the ones that beat the prices down Uh, Over and over again uh, For uh, the ranchers and farmers Who are raising livestock Mm -hmm. And so they I would say are the ones um, Who bear the most responsibility Mm -hmm. For the the ways in which We produce meat Mm -hmm. But that said Um, I will also say that people want and demand cheap meat in this country. Mm -hmm. And And the whole world, apparently. And the whole world. And that's what these big packers have done. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have realized efficiencies and uh, figured out ways to make meat incredibly cheap. Mm -hmm. And part of the way that they do that is by what they call externalizing the costs. So there are a lot of things that they don't pay for, which any other industry would be obliged to pay for Mm -hmm. in terms of environmental impacts, Um, in terms of labor. They Mm -hmm. pay very little in terms of labor. Um, So there are a lot of ways that they have managed to, uh, sort of through a kind of marvelous sleight of hand, uh, pushed all of that... Those externalized expenses off onto
3: taxpayers, essentially. Mm -hmm. Producers Um, or taxpayers.
4: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then they themselves reap these absolutely unbelievable profits. Mm -hmm. I mean, I forget exactly what the figures are, but something like, um, when I was writing the book, I looked up the, the net profit for the Tyson Company, um, which produces, of course, all manner of meat. They have chicken, Mm -hmm. they have pigs, they have cattle. Mm -hmm. Um, and their profits in, for the first quarter, of uh, two thousand and fifteen or something like that was you know in the in the the quarter billion dollar range I mm-hmm. mean it was an astonishing sum, mm-hmm. so they could afford to pay, for example, to equip every contract farmer that they work with with a means for mitigating the problems with animal waste, which mm-hmm. is by far the most extreme issue that most uh, smaller producers face Mm -hmm. um, or these contract farmers. I mean, 50,000 hogs or 20,000 hogs or whatever it is produces a lot of manure, Mm -hmm. like a lot, man, 30 pounds per pig at Mm -hmm. full market weight Mm -hmm. per animal. So that's hundreds of tons per year Mm -hmm. that these contract farmers are obliged to dispose of in some way. And frankly, there is no method for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that all of that waste sits in these big lagoons, Mm -hmm. Uh, it pollutes the atmosphere, it can pollute groundwater, it has a, a whole host of issues. I mean, the, the 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 gases that are coming off of those uh lagoons are full of, of you know, hydrogen sulfide, mm-hmm. ammonia. I mean mm-hmm. guys die. There are many stories of, oh. of farmers who, you know, if and they what f- a death. I know, right? Oh. But it happens really mm-hmm. fast. You'll mm-hmm. die in a few mm-hmm. minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, from if the impact of those in. gases mm. if you fall in mm. or you somehow get trapped underneath and you mm. can't get out oh. fast enough yeah i
3: mean there's quite a few stories about that mm. um well you're going ahead into the content okay i'm Let sorry it's like i told you i like to talk you a little back <laughs> just for a few questions because i usually ask my writers how how and when did you start this project who approached whom Ooh. Actually,
4: um, Andy Smith, who was my guest today, Andrew uh, F. Smith, who is a very prolific author and a teacher at the New School, Mm -hmm. uh, he is the editor of a series called Food Controversies for British Press called Reaction. Okay. So actually, he approached Patrick Martins from Heritage Foods USA, and who was Mm -hmm. the the guy who started this radio station. And Patrick, um, first of all, doesn't have time to write a book like this, and secondly, doesn't really... um, have the granular information about Mm -hmm. industrial meat that I sort of had before Mm -hmm. I started the project. Mm -hmm. So he suggested to Andy that he contact me, and that's how it happened.
3: Okay. How long did it take?
4: It took about... all in it took me about nine months. Mm-hmm. That's including footnotes and bibliography, which mm-hmm. I found excruciating okay. to do.
3: Oh, but they're they're well done. <laughs> <laughs> now, has this topic been yours for years? Yes it has. Okay. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. I've always been really interested in the meat business and um when I first started writing, I was a, pub- I was first, I was a cook, then I became a publicist. And when my publicity job ended, um, I started writing for food arts magazine, which is now sadly defunct. Mm-hmm. Um, but they immediately, uh, recognized that I was a total meathead. And so every story <laughs> I wrote for them basically was about meat. Ah. And, um, and that's kind of how I got interested in how I got to go to a big, a really big, um, meat processor, a Cargill processing plant in mm-hmm. Fort Collins. Mm-hmm. And I met Temple. Grandin, she gave me the tour of the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned a whole lot about industrial processing at that point. Mm-hmm. And then so a few years went by and I began interviewing a lot of guests about the meat industry on my mm-hmm. show. and I was very wound up about um, antibiotics in the food supply, and that mm-hmm. of course is very much the purview of the meat industry, right. So um, so yeah, this has definitely been a subject I've followed for mm-hmm. years. And have you been a butcher? I was a butcher, yeah. I I did prepared foods for a little butcher shop on the Upper West Side for about five or six years. Uh And so, because I was, you know, cooked by trade. Mm -hmm. And, um... I couldn't really just stand there during the evening rush and not help. When people were asking for a cut up <laughs> right. chicken, I couldn't mm-hmm. be like, "No, I'm sorry, I only do ratatouille." So, um so they taught me. I mean, I can't break down a cow, uh-huh. but I can probably take apart a pig or a lamb pretty mm-hmm. handily and I can okay. certainly cut up a chicken very fast. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay. So you so your background in food is as a cook and a butcher yeah. and a and a publicist. Okay. Okay. Now, um, I just keep thinking in our new political landscape how all of this is just going to get worse Um, in the anti-EPA, pro-business outlook of our, I don't even like to say current administration, but... I think we could call it the regime. Okay, okay. <laughs> the current regime. Yeah, I think in the current regime. The hopefully temporary current regime. Oh, gosh, yeah. Day by day. Um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but I, I presume you were writing in the midst of the Obama years. Yes, I was, yeah. So you were feeling a little more optimistic, I presume, about many of these issues.
4: Well, uh, you know, the meat industry has, it's it's a very big ship, and... It is hard to turn a big industrial ship like Mm -hmm, that. And mm -hmm. the thing that, to give people credit where credit is due, um, a lot of very positive changes have come uh, in the last decade into the meat industry. And even longer before that, in the 90s, is when, for example, Temple Grandin Mm -hmm. began designing uh, more humane handling protocols uh, at the behest of McDonald's, believe it or not. I saw and, that
3: in your book. Yeah, I didn't um, know McDonald's could be a good guy.
4: I know they well, you know, they they they're not stupid people who run mm-hmm. these companies. Mm-hmm. And um they saw that uh mishandling animals uh results in a lesser quality of product in the end. And so it's obvious it's it's not driven by any great sense of you know what's right and what's right. wrong, they any want ethical their meat sense, to taste better, but they want their meat to taste better mm-hmm. and um and that was one way to do it was to because when you mishandle animals, they release a lot of stress hormones, and that has an impact on the on the quality of their
3: flesh and particularly Temple Grandin spoke at a at as a keynote speaker at the. Cheese conference. Oh, did she really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, a couple years ago. And so she talks about how, you know, you don't want the animal scared right. before they're killed because that will make them taste worse. It floods their system with cortisol. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's what,
4: you know, in humans, that's supposedly what makes us uh, get fat around the middle. Ah. So remember that, those ad, ads for Relicor? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That was it was supposed to be an anti-cortisol uh, treatment. Okay, but anyway, it turns uh, cattle. It turns beef uh, a very dark. Dark. They call it a dark cutter. Oh um, right, I saw and, that in the book too. And um, for pigs, they it either makes their uh, flesh. They call it pale exudative. Or it's um, dark and dry. So immediate, immediate, immediate. This stress hormone floods Uh the muscle tissue, which is what we
3: eat, Mm -hmm. and it will alter the actual chemistry Mm -hmm. and the and the um, the molecular structure. So you could do really well raising the the animal and then kill it wrong and then blow it, ruined it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say you would think how that makes sense in terms of spending money at that juncture to make it taste better.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that's, you know, that the animal handling uh, protocols that Temple Grandin has devised and has promulgated throughout the industry, particularly the cattle industry, um, has had, you know, quite a big impact. But as she herself says, you know, you can have the best uh, serpentine maze, you know, thing in the world to get them to the killing box. But if you have somebody who's yelling at them or hitting them or prodding them with an electric prod. You know, it doesn't matter. It's like you can't teach people. There are some people you cannot teach to be good animal handlers. Mm-hmm. And because um, meat packing is uh, is such a um, you know, it's a highly stressful, highly dangerous job it is not well paid and the people are not well trained
5: mm-hmm.
4: and uh that is a f- that is a failure of management mm-hmm. um but that is also why you see those terrible videos of you know horrible peta videos or mercy for animals of people mistreating animals it's mm-hmm. they cannot control every single person mm-hmm. who handles the animals and that's and that's where a lot of those videos come from mm-hmm. and that is you know to their credit, a lot of companies are putting in the third party audited video cams. And, mm-hmm, right. you know they're they're mm-hmm. trying their best, I think,
3: to um, mitigate the problem, but it's it's definitely still an issue. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to tell some of my uh, cheese listeners some of the facts about this book. It is a very serious book. It is packed with facts. <laughs> uh, I don't know uh, you do not mess around. I don't, you know, it's funny that people say it's a
4: very serious book. I mean, at my book party last week, which you were so nice to come to, um, a friend of mine was leafing through it. She hadn't read read it yet. And she said, wow, this looks so serious. And I just looked at her and I was like, what, do you think I'm just going to write a cartoon?
3: I mean, yeah, it's yeah. serious. Of course. <laughs> this is a serious business. Right. Now, who do you think will read it? Is it for students? Is it for economists? Is it for researchers? Um. I I really see it as a book
4: very much for consumers. Mm -hmm. I think that most, I mean, I hope that schools will buy it. Mm -hmm. um, But I think that most consumers, you know, they have it in their head that there's something wrong with meat. There's something bad about eating meat. You know, there's a lot of guilt tripping around eating meat. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that this book will help them understand what actually is the matter with meat, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. drive them to demand better qualities. Okay. Oh, shucks, that's
3: my phone, I'm so oh, sorry. Oh, dear, it sounds I like I a bird. It off. There's a bird.
4: It's crickets, <laughs> actually. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. But, um, Yeah, I think, I mean, I meant it as a primer for Mm -hmm. consumers to understand what is this industry and to understand what you're buying into when you buy cheap meat. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that everybody has to rush out to their farmer's market and spend $25 on a chicken. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to think about where it's coming from, to try to support better brands, Mm -hmm. to do a little bit of reading up on what brands have a better track record in terms of uh, environmental practices, or animal handling protocols, or um, or even just you know whether mm-hmm. or not they're using um, a more robust gene pool
3: than mm-hmm. the industrialized uh, meat con- community mm-hmm. does. I'm going to tell the listeners a bit about what you cover. First, you have a great chapter on the evolution of industrial meat production, and I was reminded a bit of cheese, which uh you know initially the industrialization is a good idea mm-hmm. you know it's got it's got high standards it's got consistency it's got people are going to make better money but then it sort of spins out of control yeah and and downward and that's what you really capture quite ex- it's extensively in this book, how, how that's only the beginning, and then things go from bad to worse. Now, her ch- your chapters... <laughs> Diane, you're killing me. <laughs> now, well, your chapters, uh, almost all full of bad news, yeah. are, um, let's see, Genetics... Yeah, that was one of the more interesting chapters
4: to write, actually, Mm -hmm. Um, because everybody knows about animal welfare concerns, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I'm sure you're not quite as aware (laughs) or weren't quite as aware before as you are now. Um, But yeah, Uh, but the genetics thing is a very interesting aspect to this, because Mm -hmm. if you think about heirloom seeds, it's Mm -hmm. sort of the same idea. You don't want to put all of your uh, sort of genetic eggs in one basket, as it were. But
3: they are doing that. But they do that, yeah. They they want to do that that to a great extent to do it for price basically and price and, and uniformity yeah. and ease mm-hmm. of growing. Absolutely. Speedy growing. Or yeah, being happy to be stuffed into a small space. Right. Being able without to without pecking each other's lips off. Yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> being able to survive uh, the concentrated uh, area feeding operation, whether yeah, no matter yeah. which breed it yeah. is, um, does require some special genetic manipulation.
3: Yeah, yeah. So that's a big a big uh, chapter: livestock and disease, all on antibiotics and and that horror oh, show. Oh, and BSE
4: and the BSE budget right? for encephalopathy. Right, right, yeah, right.
3: right. Mad cow disease. Right. And then we go into environmental costs, which is the water and waste. Water, waste, and also um, the monocropping. Yes. Because in
4: order to feed yes. all those animals, which are primarily fed corn and soy, um, you have to grow great swaths of corn and soy, which is not necessarily the best thing for the land.
3: Right. Which is not something the meat eater or thinks about. Like, where are all these animals getting fed from? Right. Absolutely. I mean, just, you know, this is how your book connects the dots in a really interesting way. Mm, oh, thank you. <laughs> Love that. And then we go to, uh, let's see, wages and workers and safety, and they're in bad shape. Oh, yeah. The meatpacking industry. They're not being paid. They're not being trained. And they're, you know, going to kill themselves with knives. Yeah, and they, and repetitive injury. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's you know more bad repetitive news. motion injury. injury, injury. Um, Katie, which of these areas need uh, the most uncovering? Do people not know about, and which need the most change? If you could select.
4: Uh, I would say labor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people should be much more aware of um, food workers in general, whether it's farm or you know meat packers. You know, farm workers, meat packers, uh, food workers up and down the chain are among the worst paid, uh, least compensated in terms of health care, in terms of paid leave, in, ta- in terms of medical care, um, all of those things. Even though they're going to be
3: injured, and, oh yeah, and
4: need it. Oh needed. yeah, I mean, in meat packing, that's okay. one of the most dangerous jobs in the country. In okay. in any country, okay. um, I think it's in. It's not the top five, but it's the top seven. I think mm-hmm. um, it is one of the most dangerous because of the knives, obviously, mm-hmm. because of these giant machines that they're operating, mm-hmm. the big band saws, um, the grinders. I mean, people still disappear into grinders. Oh, uh, um, yeah, you. Put-
3: <laughs> that was a scary. <laughs> I remember. Well, you should see what I they- remember when I worked at. Murray's, we used to be somewhat preoccupied with the pictures of the fingers flying off on the meat slicer. Oh, yeah. Like the, the warning picture. And and that's nothing compared that nothing. to falling into a meat grinder. Yeah. That's absolutely. death. Yeah, you're death. all done. Okay, we have to take a break. Uh, okay. I we'll be, be right, right back. back. <laughs>
1: Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cruz Chichois, which was named 2016's world champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin, Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com. And as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no brainer.
2: Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter.
3: Hi, Diane Stemple, back with Katie Kiefer on What's Wrong With Meat. What's the Matter With Meat? What's the Matter With Meat? Oh, my gosh. That's okay. It's all right. It's all right. (laughs) And keep telling me. I'm going to have to leave now. (laughs) Keep telling me what's the matter with meat. So, what was the second thing you were? So, to the second say? thing I wanted to
4: say was, um, in addition to improving the lot of meat workers, mm-hmm. um, I also think that people should be more aware of the environmental impacts mm-hmm. of meat uh, production. Just because, um, and I can't remember whether I've already said this on this program, but basically. Uh meat producers, these big packing companies who basically own there's only four in each category essentially. Mm-hmm. Um and some of them overlap. You know, it's Tyson, it's Cargill, it's JBS, it's uh National Beef, it's uh Purdue, mm-hmm. Sanderson, you know, those people anyway. A lot of these guys uh work with their uh, contract farmers in a way that is um, really detrimental to the farmer. Mm -hmm. Um, And as I said before, the whole issue of disposing of waste is really a huge one. And it has a tremendous impact on the surrounding communities. And really, these companies should be regulated the way that other industries are regulated in terms of their environmental impacts. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying that these farmers who are barely making it should be the ones who install air scrubbers or anaerobic digesters over their you know, poop lagoons,
5: mm-hmm. but that's
4: what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And they should be getting assistance from these companies to make that work for them. Mm-hmm. These companies are walking away with huge profits, mm-hmm. and they are doing it on the backs of these farmers. <clears throat> and really, the farmers need help in managing these issues. So that, to me, is the other thing that people should really be aware of. And then the fact that we're monocropping too much, and that mm-hmm. we are basically, I mean, the, the ultimate point of this book is to uh, make the case that eating as much meat as we are projected to do over the next you know, 35 years until 2050 when our population exceeds 9 billion, um, we simply cannot grow enough corn and soy to feed the livestock and also grow crops for human consumption. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing now is we're growing these products like corn and soy that often go into biofuels as well as animal feed. And There's no space left, no arable land left on which to grow the crops that actually humans eat. And even
3: if everyone cooperates, we'll run out of space.
4: That's correct. And what's happening is that these companies like Cargill, for example, there's a whole um, section on land grabbing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that I think is sort of part and parcel of this whole um, environmental talk. And that land grabbing is um, a situation where a country like, say, uh, the United States (laughs) will go into an African country or a South American country and they will buy up hundreds of thousands of acres of land Mm -hmm. on which to grow corn and soy. Um, for now or for later for now or for later, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes they start farming it right away, and sometimes they just sit on the land as an investment mm-hmm. but whatever the reason that they're you whatever their plans for it, it means that many of the indigenous people the local people are then basically shut out of the land on which they grow food, mm-hmm. and so this creates a lot
3: of instability mm-hmm. and civil unrest, mm-hmm. and that should really be curtailed mm-hmm. as well and this isn 't this is thinking about population growth more than global warming. Yeah. You know, I mean, global warming is also going on simultaneously. Absolutely, And that's not, you know, water is disappearing and all sorts of things are happening. This is having an impact on water supplies. Yeah. In fact, um, I just
4: finished an article for the New Food Economy about uh, land... Land grabbing, quote unquote, in mm-hmm. the United States. And um, people are not aware of how much land we sell in this country to other countries. Mm. And um, it's not by any means a sort of dangerous proposition until you start thinking about water. Because some of the land that's being sold, for example, um, the Saudi Arabians bought. A whole bunch of land in Arizona and Southern California in the last couple of years to grow alfalfa for their dairy herds. Mm-hmm. They don't have enough water in Saudi Arabia to grow a crop like that, but they don't really have enough water in Southern California and Arizona to do it either. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that that sale in particular, for example, has uh, you know some people welcome these this, these buyers in and they say, oh, it's great for the local economy, it brings more jobs, blah blah blah. But other people are saying, hey, wait a minute, My my well just went dry. Right. I have to dig deeper to get right. more water. They're and taking they, our resources. They're taking our resources. And this mm-hmm. is where I feel like Americans need to be a bit more aware of those kinds of sales. Like when we sold the Smithfield Company, um, when Smithfield was bought by the Chinese in uh, 2013, they didn't just buy one out of every four pigs growing in the United States. They bought over 400 farms. And that's hundreds of thousands of acres Mm. that because Smithfield is a vertically integrated company, Mm -hmm. they grow the feed for all their pigs. Mm -hmm. So this means that we are selling not just the pigs, but we have sold the water and we have sold the farmland.
3: And does anyone even pay attention to that headline? You know that sale got quite a bit of scrutiny, um, but I don't remember it. It did ultimately pass. Was it it on uh, in the business section? No.
4: Well, it was, and but it was also it was also written up in a lot of yeah. It was definitely on the front page. Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, it was the largest land sale I think that the United States has ever participated in. Mm -hmm. Um, It took a lot of scrutiny from both the um, CFIUS, which is the Council for International. I'm sorry, I can't remember what the acronym Mm -hmm. means. But anyway, it's it's an organization that does look at foreign acquisitions of American companies. Mm -hmm. Um, And they passed it. And also the, you know, the agricultural committees passed it. I mean, it went through a lot Mm -hmm. of hoops to Mm -hmm. make it work. Mm -hmm. But one thing that um, struck me when I was researching again for this land grabbing story is... um, At the time of the sale, the CEO of Smithfield, a guy named Larry Pope, he said, hey, there's nothing to worry about here. It's just one company buying another company. It's part of globalization. But the reality is that the company that acquired Smithfield was then sold to another company called the WH Group, which has very close ties to the Chinese government. Mm -hmm. So in fact... The company Smithfield is now really
3: uh, uh, sort of with one or two degrees of separation being run by the Chinese government. Mm-hmm. And uh, and ha- what percent of Smithfield is pork because the Chinese love pork? Yes, absolutely. Smithfield, it's an all-pork company. Yeah, Yeah. they need pork.
4: Yeah, and they are out of arable land, Mm -hmm. and they are pretty much out of potable water, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. partly because of the fact that they have adopted American livestock agriculture models. And And, this is being adopted all over the world. That's why I wrote this book, because the book, I should say, covers five major production areas. Mm -hmm. It's the United States, uh, Brazil... The, UK, uh, the EU, the European Union, mm-hmm. which includes, at the time, it included the UK,
5: mm-hmm.
4: uh, and then Australia and Asia, mm-hmm. Asia being primarily China. Mm-hmm. Um, but China's doing a ton of land grabbing mm-hmm. as well. They're mm-hmm. buying up huge swaths of Africa in order to grow crops for their livestock.
3: I just saw someone I know out there. A oh, cheese how person. A cheese person. Oh. Anyway, um, okay, so I have a couple questions. What small percent, like in the food world in the little food world at heritage yeah um we're thinking about the meat hook and heritage foods and all the fancy high priced meat that we want to eat what percent of of meat is the fancy meat that's a great question i would say probably less than 1% yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it's really not making it's growing it is growing any any difference? I wouldn't say
4: that. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that it's actually making a lot of difference because as more companies like, for instance, Nyman Ranch or, um, I don't know, Snake River Beef Uh or, you know, some of the better brands Mm -hmm. are raising people's awareness that there is another type of product to buy. Okay. Um, And the more that people know that there are other options out there that, They can get a better value that they are buying into values because people buy a lot based Mm -hmm. on their values. Mm -hmm. The more that people are aware of those options and the more that they support those businesses, the more that forces the big guns to alter some of their practices. And, and indeed, to take, note, to take they do. note. And they do. I mean, mm-hmm. all of the animal handling stuff, all of those videos from you know PETA and Mercy for Animals, that had a huge impact on how they managed their animal handling welfare and welfare concerns. Okay. That really did make a difference. And again, with the whole issues around antibiotics and the food supply, they have had to respond mm-hmm. to consumer demands mm-hmm. they've responded to consumer demands about cage free eggs right. about
3: crate free veal about farrowing crates and gestation crates i mean but these it are things like consumer-driven... in your book it talks about how they sort of then cheat they can and you they, know, do. they they they'll say they have so many inches but it's really not very many inches per per chicken
4: well i think that there's a lot of um there's a lot of marketing terms that are quite misleading to the yeah. public. Um, for the word "natural," for example, which mm-hmm. means absolutely right. Nothing.
3: nothing. Right, means um, maybe alive. This, right. this chicken was alive. <laughs>
4: <laughs> right. It's not a rubber chicken.
3: Um, but You know, so stuff like that. There is a,
4: a bit of deliberate misleading of the mm-hmm. consumer, I think, by marketing companies because. Um, because it's just expedient. It's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and indeed I mean when people say that they're they have a free range chicken, that chicken can maybe go outside into a little yard Mm-hmm. you know, like that runs along the big chicken house. There might be a place for him to go out and, you know, mm-hmm. but it's not as if these chickens are like on Joel Salatin's polyface farm, you know, <laughs> following the sheep around right, the right. pastures uh, and, you know, eating right. bugs. I mean, right. it, that Plucking is not what's in, happening. And uh, yeah,
3: this is, this is not <laughs> happening. And,
4: and there's been a lot in the news lately about organic mm-hmm. really not being organic. Right. Right. Um, there was the big organic milk thing that just happened a few weeks ago that Mm -hmm. got a lot of press, um, where it was turned out the cows were being fed GMO Mm -hmm. corn and that didn't really meet the organic standards, you know? So I, you know, I think these labels are, make it hard for people to really understand what they're buying. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's one reason to really sort of look, look up a company and Mm -hmm. look at what they're doing and who they're working Mm -hmm. with. I mean, I love to go back to Nyman Ranch again and again, because this is a company that um, has about 800 farms working for them. Mm. Uh, And they have a model and a distribution system that has succeeded on an industrial scale. Mm -hmm. But the animals are well cared for and you know, they've got the, they've got their own slaughtering protocols and their own slaughterhouses and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So they're, you know, they've really walked the walk. Mm -hmm. Um, and they pay, they guarantee their farmers a certain level of income, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to other hog farmers who were working under contract for something like a Smithfield or Tyson, uh, where those contracts can change from, you know, cycle to cycle Mm -hmm. where they don't know what they're going to get paid per pound. Mm -hmm. They don't, you know, it's, it's, it's up to the, the company to decide, mm-hmm. the aggregator.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And um, and the farmers are really quite helpless under that kind of
3: system. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason why I think the whole contract farming thing needs to be mm-hmm. revisited by... Now, can you explain to uh, our audience what the CAFO model is? Because I feel like that's really important to your... Well, CAFO is a concentrated CAFO. area okay. feeding operation. Okay. Okay. I think typically
4: people think about that as uh, cattle. Are you asking about the cattle model? Yeah. Okay. So cattle actually have a much better life than um, than uh, hogs or chickens. Okay. Because cattle go through three stages, and the 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 cattle industry has not consolidated, um, has not been able to consolidate their operations the way that poultry and pigs have. Is that because they're bigger? The animals are bigger, and they require different uh, different um, environments as they're mm-hmm. growing out. Mm-hmm. And they take longer than the other animals mm-hmm. as well. So typically in a, in a cattle operation, you have the cow calf. That's where the cow gets bred. It's almost always artificial insemination.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and they, she has her calf, and the calf stays with the mom for quite a while.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, and then um, at about, uh, I don't know, I suppose six, nine months, they're moved on to what's called a stocker feeder. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a pasture based system. Um, obviously in the winter, they're not going to be out grazing on pasture, but Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're more or less outside. Mm -hmm. Um, they have shelter, but they're, they're still, you know, they're living like cattle, (laughs) like what you expect, you know, cows to be. And then the last couple of months, typically cattle are slaughtered around 13 months, 13 Mm -hmm. to 16 months. And, um, And so at that point, that's when they'll go into what's what people think of as the concentrated area feeding operation. That's um, that is the feed lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's where they're aggregated into pens. And they are uh, you know, there's a long, long trough that will go the length of the pen. And the Mm -hmm. animals are all hooked up to that to to eat. And they're fed a lot, you know, at certain times of the day Mm -hmm. they get fed. Mm -hmm. And they're and they're kind of packed in there. And and there is there are laws on the books that dictate how much land, how much space mm-hmm. a cow has to mm-hmm. have around them but the the reality is is that cows uh are herding animals they like to be close together mm-hmm. um so in a way unless it's a really horrible uh, Feedlot where the mm-hmm. animals are really dirty, mm-hmm. um, and they're really, really packed in there. It's I've seen a few of them. They're not that bad, oh, frankly.
3: Okay. okay, that's interesting. So cows are of of the three big food groups. They the get most the best. respect.
4: Yeah, they are. Um, you know, it's it's by no means a perfect situation. <laughs> But, you know, in general, I would say compared to poultry and mm-hmm. pigs, mm-hmm. oh, my God, mm. it's mm. night and day. Mm. In my opinion, pigs are the most abused animals on the planet. A pig, a full-grown pig, has roughly the intellectual capacity of a three-year-old child. I have seen mm. pigs. I have seen f- videos of pigs. they that smart? Yes. Oh. I have seen them learn how to operate a joystick and play a game on a
3: computer. Not kidding! Wow. Yeah, no, they are really smart. Oh. So, um, so then one can assume they're suffering more. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
4: Mm-hmm. They're incredibly mm-hmm. sentient. They're very social. Mm-hmm. They're very curious. Mm-hmm. Um, they need a lot of stimulation. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happens to pigs is, first of all, they're you know the babies are taken away from mom quite early. They're weaned very early, like two mm-hmm. to three weeks. Um, which is bad for their health, which is mm-hmm. what contributes to the abuse of antibiotics, because if they wean the pigs too early, they don't get as much natural immunity. Mm-hmm. So then they have to inoculate them with a lot of antibiotics and they give them vaccines and probiotics. Mm-hmm. I mean, the antibiotic mm-hmm. issue is sort of being resolved, but not really in mm-hmm. this country. Other mm-hmm. countries are way ahead mm-hmm. of us in that. Um the Danish, for example, and the Dutch mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. miles ahead of us mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. figuring out how to raise animals in confinement mm-hmm. uh, without using all those antibiotics. But anyway, mm-hmm. I digress. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, And then they're just like packed into these pens and... You know, they are freaking smart, and they need Mm -hmm. something to do. And one of the things that I talk about um, in terms of, like, industrial practices that the industry considers totally humane, which would appall anybody else, um, is they dock their, their tails. They'll cut their tails off because when the pigs have nothing to do, they turn on each other. Right. Um, and they become very aggressive. And it's the same thing with chickens. Chickens Mm -hmm. do the same Mm -hmm. thing. They will Mm. peck other chickens Mm. to death. Mm. Uh, And that is very common. And again, Mm. this is because, first of all, they're social, they're they're Packed into these mm-hmm. small spaces, their social hierarchies are constantly disrupted right. and altered. They're, by mad. Their, they're mad. They're mad. Yeah, and they're unhappy. Yeah. yeah. So you know, they talk a lot about cage enrichment for chickens. They talk mm-hmm. a lot about um, you know things that you can do for pigs that will keep them entertained. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, I was working for a
3: guy. Who Is that was, like enrichment in education? Yeah. <laughs> Well, for pigs, it's like putting a bale of straw into their pen and letting them play with it. Oh, right. Right.
4: I read that. Or or giving
3: them a ball. I mean, they're unbelievably destructive, Mm. these animals. Mm. I mean, they can be. I have one more question before we have to end. How come the EU is so much better than we are? (laughs) Is there an answer to that question? Every chapter you mention, well, in the EU, it's better. Well, in the EU, it's better. And will it... continue to be better no it won't oh. the more that they adopt American methods yeah. uh, the
4: farther away they get from uh, having smaller farms mm. uh, producing their,
3: their their animals for agri- mm-hmm. you know for livestock purposes um, but they seem like their belief system is better. Oh yeah! To begin with,
4: I mean the UK got highest marks in animal welfare. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what the name of the organization was that I looked up, but it. Mm-hmm. But it, it, there was I. I know I put this in one of the chapters. Like they, there is this organization that measures welfare standards, and and they, you know, did it for fifty different countries, mm-hmm. and um and then they explained like the results. So for example, the Russians, um, as you might imagine, have literally <laughs> no concern for animal welfare. It's mm-hmm. like not even on the radar. <laughs> they couldn't care. Less. Whereas the UK, the French, uh, the Dutch, the Danish, mm-hmm. they're all deeply involved in making sure that their animals are happy and well cared for. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because of the tradition of small farming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the, the Nyman Ranch pigs. Not to not to give them too much of a free commercial here, um, mm-hmm. but they it's the same kind of thing. They have smaller farms, and so the animals, or even Heritage Foods USA, is another place where I visited a lot of small pig farms, mm-hmm. and um, and the pigs are they love their farmers. You mm-hmm. know they know mm-hmm. them right, um, and the farmers and the farmers love, the, farmers love the pigs. In right. fact, I sat next to a pig farmer one time, and 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 I and I said, "Would you ever?" <laughs> would you ever visit New York and he said only if I can bring my pigs (laughs) more than one (laughs) yeah I just thought that was fabulous he loves his pigs that's Mm -hmm. why he got out of industrialized farming Mm -hmm. he was like Mm -hmm. I can't I couldn't I couldn't do what they were telling me to do Mm -hmm. so I quit
3: well, thank you very much for coming on Thanks the show. For having it's been me, a Diane. pleasure talking about meat and uh, what's the matter with it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, this is our 300th show. We're celebrating. We Let's go have some drinks. Absolutely. And uh, it's Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. Thank you very much. Thank you.